Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Why don't you turn in your Bible to John's Gospel, chapter 20. John 20, if you're using an app or something, I guess you want to know it's verse 19. Appreciate... uh, the opportunity to be here today. I hear there was a wedding. So thanks for showing up today. <laughs> and some of you were here Friday night, I guess. Boy, but I mean, I mean, why'd you go home? I mean, why not just... <laughs> All right, well, thanks for showing up today. I, um, I have a simple goal really in this in this next um, two hours in these next few minutes I want to show you that maybe things haven't gone wrong at all and maybe some of the things that you thought were things that had gone catastrophically wrong have really just been going right Okay, and um, you'll see what I mean. I want to talk to you about doubting Thomas. What a poor fella he is. I don't know how many people died yesterday and went to be with the Lord, and how many thousands of years they spend worshipping him, and then eventually they go and find their favorite Bible characters. Can you imagine being doubting Thomas? And spending all of eternity having people come up to you and go, Oh, you're (laughs) doubting Thomas. Well, I want to show you today that that's not who he is at all. And uh, anyway, let me read the text. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, uh, for fear of the Jews, as the, the Jewish leaders, of course, they themselves were Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, and again he said to them, Peace be with you. Come down to verse 24. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, that means the twin, which means I always wondered what the other one was called, but anyway. Uh, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks 
in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them, uh, brackets, this time, right? Wasn't with them the last time. Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. That's twice, by the way. The wound in his side is referenced, so it must have been very severe. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to ask three questions this morning about Thomas. Why did he doubt? That's number one. Number two, why did he not really need to doubt? And number three, how did he overcome those doubts? And because this is not really about Thomas, it's about me and you. The questions really are these. Why do we doubt? Why do we not really need to doubt? And how, if we have, can we overcome our doubts? All right, Everyone happy with that? That's roughly where we're going. The title of my message today is Anticipointment. Because one of the greatest wounds to us as Christians, and indeed as people, but particularly when you have a relationship with God, is the issue of anticipointment. And I'll explain what I mean. Please don't look it up. It, the word does not exist. But perhaps if we use it often enough, it will. That's how it works, isn't it? Anticipointment. So number one, why did Thomas doubt. And, you know, brackets, why do we uh, sometimes doubt? Well, I thought of three things. Number one, I think it might have been part of his general personality. Have you noticed that some people you meet believe anything you tell them? Don't they? Some people believe nothing you tell them. And some people are somewhere in the middle. And so, for example, there are people in this world. Now, I'm not talking about Christians now. I'm not talking about religious belief. I'm just talking about anything. There are some people who believe pretty much anything. Uh, they believe in, uh, what should we say, UFOs. 
They believe that the Duke of Edinburgh had Princess Diana put to death. Right? Things like that. They, they believe uh, uh, that Trump didn't really fire that guy from the CIA or whatever. You know, they believe. Also, they believe things. And so sometimes I can go and get my hair cut, you know, and, and I can talk to my hairdresser maybe about some of the healings that we'd seen recently or something like that, and she would believe me because she's a sort of a believing kind of person. And I can go away all happy, like, oh, wow, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I just about led her to the Lord. I didn't lead her to the Lord. She believed in the supernatural anyway. Everyone understand what I mean? And someone else, <laughs> believe you, you meet someone else, and they won't believe anything, even if they see it. And you've been like that too. You've been in a place where God touched you. God touched you. And half an hour in the car, you're wondering, was that real? And it was you who got touched, let alone someone else. And so we face this. And by the way, both of these kinds of people are on their way to this church this year. And some people who are Christians believe anything. And these Christians who believe anything they see or hear on any kind of Christian TV show or podcast, these people need to be brought back into alignment with the solid word of God. And not just their own mystical experiences. Whereas another group of people need to be brought out of their intellectualism and skepticism and brought into alignment with the wonderful supernatural word of God. Everyone understand what I mean? And so it's quite tricky to be a pastor, you know. It is. Hang on, let me open this. It's quite tricky. Because some people don't believe anything and other people believe far too many things. And you want to stop them. Oh, Pastor, I've had a word from the Lord. The Lord has told me to go to Toulouse. In France. I've got a call to Toulouse. Uh, how do you know that? Because I was down at a campsite and I saw Toulouse. Oh, it's so easy being a pastor. No, we meet people like this all the time. <laughs> and, and other people, the angel Gabriel showed up in their house and they don't believe it. Now, let's get back to the story. So by the way, you might want to work out which one of these you are. There's a great crowd of them in the church, very skeptical. They're generally called Men. Now they are. Generally they're called men. But it's not, but there's plenty of women like that too. And vice versa. So which was Thomas? Well, I reckon he might have been in, in the more skeptical camp. And it was part of his personality. Uh, how do we know that? Well, I, I can think of one example where they're on their way to raise Lazarus from the dead. They're on their way. In fact, uh, 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 
to, to bring about an incredible almighty cure for a dead man. And Thomas says in John chapter 11, let's go, he says, in speaking of Jesus, that we might die with him. So I don't think Thomas's idea of what they were going to do was the same as God's. Now, by the way, it shows the great courage of Thomas that he was thinking, this is the end of us. And he signed himself up for martyrdom in John chapter 11. Nevertheless, his disposition was, it's all going to go wrong. On another occasion, uh, he gets a bit, uh, I don't know, shirty, is that the right word? Uh, frustrated with Jesus, where Jesus is talking about the way. And John 14, Thomas says something like, Lord, we don't know the way. How can we know the way? Show us the way. Tell us the way. Uh, to which Jesus replies in now those great immortal words, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So number one, why did he doubt? Why did he go through a valley of doubt? Because doubt was in him. It was part of his personality. And so I guess I want to say to you that sometimes, sometimes we might be prone to that. And by the way, that's not a scenario to say, well, that's just who I am. No, no, we need to change that about ourselves. But if you are aware that you're tending to be on the skeptical, cynical, gloomy nature, then it's something that you need the Holy Spirit to help you to work on. And by the way, you could be all singing and all dancing in church, but at home be a complete gloom. All right? So we're not talking about what we see here. Or what you see up, up, up here. We're talking about who you really are. Number two, Thomas had faced the most incredible recent disappointment. You've got to get this. Because at the time when Thomas is saying to them, Look guys, unless I see him and put my finger in all those wounds... I'll never believe it. You have to understand that this is a human being who's just been through a catastrophic disappointment. And there are times in our life when things go utterly wrong, are they not? Wrong. At least as far as we are concerned. Wrong. I think of the two on the same Easter day on the road to Emmaus, walking, uh, they're, they're trying to keep their chins up, Jesus is walking along with them, you know the story, don't you, in Luke 24, and as they're walking along, they're, they are, you know, talking to one another, oh, how we, we thought that this would be the, we thought he would be the saving of Israel, we had hoped that he would be the one, and they are so disappointed with what hadn't happened that they believe would happen, that Jesus stands right next to them and they can't recognize him. It happens in our lives all the time. Jesus is right with us, right in our car. Jesus is at the foot of our bed as we're tossing and turning, but we can't see him because we are so distressed and disappointed 
by what we were sure was going to take place. We really do need to own up to this fact that we are not great predictors of the future, are we? Ask Theresa May. We are not... We are not great predictors of the future. And most of the Christians you meet, they, oh, well, maybe not most, but many of them, they have this idea, they know what God's doing, I'm in the plan of God, the Lord's spoken to me, etc., uh, etc. Et but I wonder if we are absolutely, by and large, dreadful at knowing what's ahead. And, and of course, we have our faith and we have our optimism and we have our beliefs. But I remember something Jane said to our students just a short time ago. She said, uh, Jane's my wife, by the way, sitting here in the front. She said this. She said, uh, the, the longer I am a Christian, the more I realize this. God does not reveal the future, but he does order our steps. And if you open up your Bible and look for times when God explicitly revealed the detailed future to people, you will find yourself only finding one or two examples. Most of the time, we arrive in our destiny really by the hand of God, but not because we knew the way. Not because we were clever and, and we kind of knew where we were going. Very often, we don't know. Now, the Tutu Emmaus did not know that the death of Jesus was the greatest thing that was ever to happen on the planet. Thomas did not know that the death of Jesus was one of the greatest things that was ever going to happen on the planet and was uh, in the great plan of God. He didn't know it was God's plan, therefore he suffered a colossal disappointment. And when you go through a disappointment, that's not the time when we want to get you on the Jeremy Kyle faith detector test. Is it? That's not the time where we want to test your faith. That's not the time. When we, when we thought, ah, I know it's going to happen, and it doesn't happen, that's the time when we don't want to uh, be asked about our faith. Uh, now, by the way, you, you, you understand, I'm not talking about our faith in the existence of God. I'm talking about our faith in the fact that Jesus is still at the foot of our bed. And number three, Number three, why did he doubt? I think it was in his personality. Number two, I think he'd had a terrible shock. And number three, it's ever so simple, he missed the meeting. Like some people listening on the podcast have done today. Where are you? Everyone else is here. They all went to Brother Yun in the wedding. Where are you? I know, the Lord told you to stay away. Which Lord? The one in your head. No, no. He missed the meeting, didn't he? It's Easter Day and he's not there. Where was he? What was it? Bank holiday Easter? Thomas, verse 24, was not with them when Jesus came. Here's the thing. How many Christians do you think are, are not in church? By the way, 
I'm having a joke about those others because I know it's been a big weekend. But what about other Christians that haven't been in church for months? Right? They're staying away because they think it's going to do them good. But it's not really doing them good. And here's what Thomas did. He could not even meet with those men again. So when they met, he was so hurt that he couldn't show up. Now, let's get real. Things like this do happen in church. People do think, I need to quit. Remember one guy, he said to me in the street, he said, I said, oh, are you still going to that church? No, he said, I've not been to church for a long time. I was so shocked because he and I were like evangelists um, together. And I said, well, what? how come you're not going? He said, oh, things didn't work out. And of course, I knew what it was. Someone's offended him, haven't they? And maybe he was right to be mad. Maybe he's right to, you know, maybe he wasn't guilty. Maybe he was the innocent one in it. But I looked at him in the face and I said, do you know what I said? Jesus has done you no harm. <laughs> Jesus has done you no harm. And here this man, he stays away from church, which actually keeps him away from Jesus. That's what happens. It keeps him away from Jesus. Why didn't he need to doubt? Well, there's a few things. I guess in three years, Jesus had never failed him. Isn't that right? There'd never been a moment when it had really gone wrong. Even on their way to Lazarus' tomb where the man was dead, what looked like was going wrong was really going right. This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God. So here's a reason why Thomas didn't need to doubt. He didn't need to doubt because Jesus had never failed him. But something had failed. And let me just take a minute just to unpack this. This whole thing about anticipation. Do you know what anticipation is? Anticipation is going to an England football game. Like my brother, he loves football. In every England game in the world, you know when the camera pans across the stadium, I look for him. Wherever it is, India, Rio, wherever it is, South, South Africa, Vuvuzela, you know, he'll be there. So when I watch the England games, I'm looking for my brother. And he doesn't appear very often because he doesn't paint his face in all the colors, you know. Now, I think about my brother. Now, he spends thousands and thousands of pounds to go and see England lose all <laughs> over the world, doesn't he? Right? No, but he does, doesn't he? Isn't that what it is? Now, I'm the same as him. I think Star Wars films are going to be good. So I go into a Star Wars film with full-blown uh, full anticipation ready. Oh, this is going to be great. Then you walk out, oh, it wasn't really all that good. Now, I want you to put your... Just for a moment, take away the doubting Thomas thing. 
He's a guy just like you. In fact, he's braver than most of us because he was prepared to die for his faith and he gave up everything to follow Jesus. So he's not really like us. Not like many of us. And here he is. Now, you understand, don't you, that the Jewish expectation was that Jesus was going to be like King David, that he was going to come into Jerusalem. There he is on the donkeys, you know, and there he is entering in Thomas's expectations and most of their expectations, Peter's as well. When Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to have to go to the cross, no, you're not, you see. So their expectation was that he was going to be a military ruler, that the Romans were going to be kicked off the streets, that there was going to be an uprising, that there was going to be victory for Israel, that the streets of Jerusalem would be free of Roman soldiers, that there would be great victory. And in the hearts of these men was such an expectation. And it didn't go the way they thought. Now here's the good news. It went better. Didn't it? It went better. Jesus didn't get rid of the Romans from the streets. He got rid of judgment and sin from our hearts. And so we face here the greatest spirit of anticipation in the history of the world. Thomas is on the floor because what he believed God was going to do, he didn't do. And here's the truth. God was never going to do what Thomas thought he was going to do. So Thomas's future was always going to be on the floor. For as long as he had the wrong idea, about what God was going to do. And I think this is all over our lives and all over the church. Oh Lord, you told me that my son would come back to you when he went to that university. Lord, I felt sure that, uh, that, that this marriage would work. Well, Lord, uh, I... I I felt that you told me that my house would sell by the end of May. It's June the 11th. Yes? And let's be clear, no matter how much you think it, have you worked out yet that God does not have a watch? Have you worked out that God's calendar... You, we talk about the Chinese calendar. He's got a heavenly calendar. And I have no clue what month it is up there. And all these deadlines we've got. Well, Lord, I believe that you're going to heal me. Lord, in 2016, I'm going to get my cure. And here you are in 2017. And you've had to go back to the doctor, haven't you? Right? I mean, these things are real, aren't they? Am I okay to talk like this? I'm not preaching, I'm telling you the truth. And so, so we hit these periods of anticipation. And here's the thing, nothing's gone wrong. 
It's just that we've got ahead of God. We've written the future the way we'd like it and we've kind of felt that every prophecy that said, behold, I'm going to bless you, was some sort of affirmation of what we believed that God was going to do that maybe he was never going to do. Jesus was never going to come down from the cross. Jesus was never going to uh, throw forth his arms and all the Roman soldiers would fall and he would walk away. Jesus was never going to destroy Pontius Pilate and bring down the emperor. And all the things that might have been in Thomas's mind. Here's the good news. As you're walking with God, I want you to know, he is at the foot of your bed. You may not be able to see him because of some distress. And I sympathize. I've been there. Maybe I'm there now. But he's at the foot of your bed. He's walking alongside you as you're going to Emmaus. He's with you as you're saying, how come this has all gone wrong? He's with you as you're saying, well, I thought it would have worked out much faster than this. Or how come this has happened? Do you know that Thomas believed that Jesus was dead for 10 days? It's a week later that he appears. A week later, that means the Easter uh, Sunday and then a week after that. And the, and, the, and the death of Jesus is three days before that. So for 10 days, his dreams are shattered. Where did he go? What did he do? Well, I think we know. Not, not literally, but I think we know because I think we've had 10 days like that, some of us. How come? What's happening here? Why have I not been healed? Why has my daughter not come back to Christ? Why didn't I get that job? Why hasn't my house sold? I love doing this, so I, I want to do it here. I've got a word for you if you're selling a house. You're asking, Lord, why is my house not sold? Behold, the Lord says unto you, because no one's bought it yet. <laughs> there. You happy with that? It's worth coming for, wasn't it? Oh, he's amazing, that speaker. He really is. I'm feeling a call to Toulouse right now. <laughs> Now, here's a real word. God's not failed you at all. The plan isn't going wrong. But our expectations of what would happen and when and particularly how fast. You hear people all the time, well, God's never late. Yeah, I mean, never early either. Hmm. I often remark on this on how we, when we pray in, our, in another tongue, you know, we don't really know what we're praying, do we? But we want to imagine, according to Romans 8, that we're praying according to the will of God. So sometimes, of course, it wouldn't have happened to any of our current students, but they'll be praying about some boy that they love, you know. Oh, God, I, I just love Duncan. Anybody here called Duncan? 
Let me not look up. <laughs> oh, Lord, I just love Duncan. I love him. He's mine. You know, and you see some of the girls putting their foot on his foot. Yeah, every place where you put your foot belongs to you. Oh, Lord, I love him. I love him. He's mine. I want to marry him. We're going to travel the world together. And then, and then because they're... Steady on, ma'am. I, I feel I'm buying a ticket to Toulouse right now. <laughs> Hopefully the Wi-Fi isn't good in this building. Let's even go after the meeting. And... Because the girl is a Pentecostal, she'll like habitually pray in tongues. To you know, oh Lord, I love, I, I want to marry Duncan. I need him. I need him. I need him in my life. And if only she could interpret it. The, the interpretation is cancel all that. That means Duncan's not for you. He's promised to Sheila. She put both feet on him. <laughs> Tell you, Matt, see, it's all happening under the table. <laughs> Surprised any of them eat anything at all. <laughs> By the way, none of that is true. <laughs> Not to my knowledge. So, so how did he overcome his doubts? This is what we want to know, isn't it? How are we going to get out of this? Well, it's very, very simple. Number one, he got back to church, first of all. So he shows up again. And here's my thing. To every one of you who's been hurt by a church or well done for showing up, right? <laughs> for every one of you that's hurting in a marriage, well done for carrying on. For every one of you that's utterly confused by what's happened in your life, well done for sitting in the presence of God. And I, I, I want to encourage you, keep doing that. Thomas, thankfully, does not leave the story. And there's one reason that he doesn't leave the story. It's because he showed up again. Honestly, think about it. Judas left the story, yes? Thomas stayed in the story because he showed up again. He's not convinced. He hasn't shown up as a believer. He hasn't come to church to have an encounter with Jesus. Has he? He doesn't believe in Jesus. And to his amazement, God touches him. There's no record, by the way, none at all of Thomas actually touching Jesus. He says, I, if, if I see him, I, I need to. But there's no actual record, read the story, that he actually does it. I reckon once he saw him, I think he thought, I think I don't need any of those tests. So he got back to church. He encountered Jesus, and he learned this, that believing is seeing. The world, of course, is seeing is believing, 
and we, we, we understand that. I'll believe it when I see it. But there are certain things in the kingdom of God where the only way to see it is to believe it. I was with a friend yesterday, and we were, or the day before, we, he was talking about Joseph. And he said this, he said, do you know he said that Joseph, the Joseph in the Old Testament, the one, the one with the coat, he said, he said, do you know that Joseph changed his past? You know we say this thing all the time, you can't change your past. He said, Joseph did. He said to his brothers, you sent me here to Egypt. He changed the past. Right? Because they sent him, you know, there. But then when the psalmist writes of Joseph, God sent him. He said, you did this to harm me, but God sent me ahead of you. He changed the past. He put God in the driving seat of what had occurred instead of them. Now, he didn't see that, but he believed that, and so then he began to see it. I want you to know that God is faithful all the time. And every time a door was locked, it's because God locked it. Because what you thought was a party on the other side could have been calamity for you. Have we any idea how many times God has kept us from harm? While we were banging on a door, moaning, I've got to get through here. Back where I used to live, we used to have what we called traffic light, temporary traffic light season. Do you have that around here where every now and then you can't move for a, te a temporary traffic light? And everywhere we went, there'd be a temporary traffic light. And I found all sorts of ways to get it to go from red to green. I tried everything, flashing my lights, you know, using the force. <laughs> looking at it, revving. I found the best way is actually just to relax and put the handbrake on. And then, oh, right, I'm going. But how many of us in our lives are like that? Every time, there's, every time we can't go forward, we're revving, we're flashing, we're... Urgh! But if you go forward and it's red, you're going to have a crash. You're going you're gonna... to... The idea of a temporary traffic light is to make repairs to the road ahead. How many times do you think God has not allowed you to take a job, not allowed you to go into a relationship, not allowed you to move on, not allowed you the speed that you wanted in order to help you? And we sit in churches uh, with anticipation in our spirit, feeling that God has somehow let us down as, in fact... He's raised us up. He's a great, great father. That's who he is. 